Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail... Leaky Building legal action has been launched in the High Court against big building manufacturer James Hardy, estimated to be worth $200 million. The experience is extremely depressing. The High Court has given a group of leaky building owners permission to take the class action. Well, it's alleged that the manufacturing, supply and design of certain James Hardy products are deceptive. More than six years in the making, a quarter of a billion dollar lawsuit has just kicked off at the High Court in Auckland with more than a 1,000 plaintiffs and scheduled to last some four months. It's the latest salvo in the decades-old war over leaky buildings and who's responsible for their repair or replacement. It's being bankrolled by a British litigation funder and it's taking on an Irish multinational worth billions of dollars, James Hardy. So what's the story here? What are the complainants alleging? How will the case unfold? And what might the verdict mean for the future of Leaky Homes claims? Victoria Young is a journalist with Business Desk who's been following this story for several years. For people like me who grew up in this environment where Leaky Homes was a big thing, but the nuts and bolts of what the Leaky Homes crisis actually was maybe faded from memory. What, what is the Leaky Homes crisis in a nutshell? Yeah, it's one of those things that everyone's talked about and no one's explained for a while, all that sort of thing. But basically from about the late 80s to early 2000s, there was a lot of deregulation in the housing market. And so a lot of untested building products came onto the market. And this sort of coupled with taking away of training for builders and plasterers and that sort of thing, that hit at the same time. And a lot of it also comes down to untreated timber, which was used in the market at the time, which is basically timber that hasn't been treated to protect from water. So there was this, and there was this big trend towards monolithic cladding, which I guess you would go all houses that have big sheets on them. You know, it looks like a big wall as opposed to sort of like timber slats that you see on like the classic weatherboard house or, you know, obviously very different from a brick So brick house. So all of these things at the same time happened and obviously took a while to realise didn't work, mm. you know, because obviously you build the house, you live in it for several years and then all of a sudden you've got rot. Yeah, because leaky, I mean, the impacts of having a leaky home only become apparent years after the home has absorbed the effects of being leaky. Yep, that's right. That's absolutely right. So when we say like a leaky home, I'm sort of imagining when it rains, the roof drips down and you have to put a bucket down to catch the water. Yeah, that's very, that's, that's definitely what you'd think. But it's not to do with pipes or anything like that. It's really to do with the inside of your wall and, you know, the walls sort of have layers and, you know, there's supposed to be air between them and it's supposed to stay dry inside. But it, when water can't actually get out, and as part of it's the monolithic cladding, which is like the huge slab of material, then that's what stops the house the house from sort of breathing and, and being natural and, and staying dry and, and not mouldy, which is one of the big symptoms, I guess, mm, okay. uh, of this. And so when it comes to, like, what, having a leaky house actually means for people it's not having like a flooded living room no no yeah it is it is more nuanced than that i mean people have talked about and warned about the possibility that your balcony could fall off or your deck could cave in you know those sorts of structural things but no you're going to detect it before the roof caves in what it's going to do to you is it's mold so there are there are health effects and that's you know um, been quite well documented but the other thing is that 
it's going to cost you 200, 300K on top of your house. And the stress, I mean, one of the biggest things they talk about actually is divorce and financial sort of ruin because you've bought a house and then you've got to pay like another, whatever, the third of the price of your house to resolve it. And the other sort of complicating factor um, in many of the cases that I covered really quite early in my previous job were apartment owners whose, you know, their house might not leak or they didn't believe it was leaky, but because of the way that apartments are governed, there were arguments over who should pay for those repairs. And so that's another dynamic of the crisis, which is, you know, being brought on by the Unit Titles Act, but it could be a whole other story. Okay, so... It's bad having a leaky home for a variety of reasons, mm. chief among them that it's really, really hard to fix a leaky mm. home. Mm. Presumably it's already it's it's also quite difficult to spot whether a home is a leaky home in the first like how how does that kind of work? Is it is it down to building inspectors? Well that's the thing, that building inspectors didn't catch a lot of this in the beginning because it just you couldn't. Like you you know, if you if you're checking something when you first inspect it, you you can't see what years of water will do to the house. Once you know the symptoms, and the thing is, a lot of people have heard about leaky homes now, so they know, and there's quite an industry around this, so, you know, it's very easy. You can Google, you can get, you can get a, a consultant to come in and, and, and find out. Um, yeah, that's, that's when you know and you can sort of get going with repairs. Whose fault was it that this leaky homes crisis kind of happened in New Zealand? Or is it kind of a confluence of different... Yeah, it's a confluence. I mean, it's the aspects that I talked about before, like the building supplies and the regulation. And and I guess nobody's really put their hand up to say, this was us, you know, this was us. I mean, the government has put out packages to compensate homeowners. The key aspects are that owners of leaky homes pay half the cost of repairs with local government and central government picking up the rest. One area of contention is the exclusion of apartments from the package because banks won't lend to body corporates as they don't lend on commonly owned property. But it's just sort of become more complicated than that and there's a lot of legal technicalities around how the compensation packages that could be used can be used, which has influenced how the litigation has has come about, I guess. Okay. If we are looking at the different sort of um, institutions that have culpability, Mm -hmm. so what we're talking, central government, local government, the building sector, the sector that's providing the materials in the first place. Yeah. I mean, the point of these cases is that they they try and sue everyone. I mean, the government has really stepped away. They've allowed local councils to carry the can for a lot of this. So often in these cases, the council was the last man standing because the builders, uh, the builders, architects and engineers, surveyors, they've often gone under. So mm. a big feature of all of this is that you can't sue, well, you can sue, but often they don't exist or, or, so, or something like that. So you end up suing the council, and that's what happened in the early litigation in 2004. 14, 15, 16, when these really big cases were going through, they were always going through. I mean, you would list the engineer and you would list the architect, but you were really going after the council, and Mm. the council was the one that was paying the bill. The Supreme Court has thrown out a council bid to push some of the liability for leaky homes back on the government. The government's considering capping the amount of money councils are liable for in leaky homes cases. The Building and Housing Minister Nick Smith says councils feel they're seen as having the deepest pockets and they're worried they're shouldering an unfair share of damages and costs in cases where other liable parties have gone bust or can't be found. 
In terms of the scale and scope of the you know money and numbers involved here, do we have any idea of that? Any idea how many homes could be involved? How much money worth of, of property we're talking about here? Does it run to the billions? Yeah, there was a book written a couple of years ago by um, a journalist called Rotonomic. Oh, his name's not Rotonomics. It <laughs> was the name of the book's Peter Dyer. He said forty-seven billion. Forty-seven billion. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was two years ago, and that was residential only. So that's not even counting. Schools, yeah. for example, which are another huge, um, have been a huge claimant in these sorts of actions as well. Damn, $47 billion is a lot of money. <laughs> and that's at an estimate of about 200 k per house. It's a pretty rough estimate, but yeah, it's a lot of money. Gee whiz. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about this lawsuit then. A trial, six months in the making, involving hundreds of homeowners, has finally launched against the building materials company James Hardy. The class action lawsuit alleges James Hardy knew its home cladding was leaky, causing mould and rot, and continued to sell it for some years until its withdrawal in 2005. What are the bare bones of the lawsuit situation? Who is suing whom? Okay, so you've basically got a thousand, just more than, just over a thousand homeowners that have been sort of brought together by this one lawyer, um, Adina Thorne. These buildings leak or they will leak or they are cracking. There's also a real claim here for stress, anxiety and the health effects from this. A lot of the owners are suffering from respiratory conditions from black mould. Black mould exists when there's you know, very serious mould that is basically stuck in a wall cavity and can't get out. She's been working in this leaky homes area for a, re- a really long time and she does a lot of class action stuff now as well. Mm-hmm. So it's her. They're supported by a litigation funder, which is quite an interesting aspect of the case, but we can get to that. And it's against James Hardy in New Zealand, which is, you know, obviously what supplies, what has been supplying this product. But it's also against um, its parent company, which is um, based in Australia, but has um, is registered in Ireland. And is it supplies building products to you know, obviously Australia, but also like the Philippines, it's it's massive. Okay. It's a massive supplier of, and it, you know, it claims to be one of the biggest suppliers of certain uh, fibre cement products in the world, that sort of thing. Okay. So a thousand plus people are suing the materials company yeah. because they are saying the materials were not fit for purpose. Is that pretty much it? That's pretty much it. I mean, they try and describe it as a system. Today, defence lawyer Bruce Scott ran through their analysis of one of these homes. He said the house plans were consented using a different type of cladding before inexplicably being changed, without the alterations the new cladding needed. In terms of construction, in terms of bad building practice, it's an unconsented change to the cladding. It shows that halfway through the construction process, someone just decided to completely change the cladding and gave not only no thought to the wider implications, I would submit, but even to the immediate implications at this location. Instead of a product or or materials, because they say that it's the system of materials, the system of products that should have all worked together properly. So it's it's quite nuanced. I mean, people talk about Hardy Techs as a board. It is a it is a fibre cement board, but it goes with flashings, which are like the little strip metal things that go across your windows and stuff to keep water out. And it goes with um, special coatings, and that is the building system so that's the problem in uh-huh. this case okay and and that's a core of james hardy's defense right is that it's not the product that was defective but the people who were using these materials mm. didn't do it in the right way yeah. and so that led to things 
being bad. Yeah, basically. I mean, they're blaming the builders. They're, they're saying it's not, you know, we gave you the ingredients and you didn't build the recipe correctly. Okay. But but they give guidance on how to build the recipe, so to speak. So it's, that's what's sort of quite controversial. Okay. So it's a little bit like if you've got a buy food bag recipe and all of the ingredients are there and the method for putting it together is there and then at the end you've got a stink meal. Mm. It's like... Whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do we know much about what is actually being claimed about the product by the plaintiffs here? What are they saying is defective about the materials? Do we know? They're basically just saying it doesn't do what it said it would do because the water's got in. I mean, it's that's, that's, that's the nub of it. I mean, it gets really technical and there'll be a lot of expert evidence on that and that's one of the features of the case is it will be the homeowner's expert versus James Hardy's expert. Yep. So it's sort of, yeah. That's going to be fun to sit through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's uh, 15 weeks scheduled. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's, um, before we get on to that, if James Hardy supplies these materials all around the world and the same cladding is used in other countries, then presumably other countries, if the materials or the system were faulty, would be facing similar issues, or are there things about New Zealand that's unique yeah, to Yeah, well, that's what they say, and that's that's what I think will be a, a quite an interesting issue in the case, is New Zealand's weather and geography. I mean, the, the homeowners in this case are saying up and down the country it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Anywhere in the country you use this product, it doesn't work. There is a product called Hardy Tex in Australia, but we don't know that if it's, that it's the same product. Mm-hmm. And actually, James Hardy are very careful and sensitive about their IP. Um, so we... That's really, really fuzzy. But we, what we do know is that this Hardy Tex product has been off the market in New Zealand since 2005, but they replaced it with another product. So they say, well, doesn't mean the product was bad. Mm. We replaced it with another product because we've got a better product. So, you know, there's debates around that. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. a grey area. Yeah. It is interesting. I mean, I've seen a lot of the houses that um, that this relates to described as being Mediterranean style houses mm, mm. and I mean you wouldn't describe New Zealand's climate as being Mediterranean necessarily though maybe that's an overly simplistic way of re- reading it. Well not yes Maybe New Zealand just doesn't suit that style of house you know. No no but it was in vogue. Yeah. <laughs> it was trendy <laughs> I mean well you know I was saying to you before my childhood home was built and was leaky and it was trendy my parents chose it it was cheaper than um, I think they were either going to go brick, or, brick and cedar or this monolithic cladding and they were like oh let's use the cladding it's so it <laughs> I guess that's how, how it works yeah yeah I think it might be a while before those houses come trendy again yeah, yeah. Um, okay so this is a quarter of a billion dollar lawsuit is that a big lawsuit you know the leaky schools one would have been a lot more than this because it was I mean this that's the one that settled at the end of last year this was a long running court case where the education ministry wanted compensation of between 1.1 and 1.3 billion dollars from building company Carter Holt Harvey for materials it said were defective. These affected 800 buildings and hundreds of schools around the country. The terms of that settlement are confidential. Similar story, but against Carter Holt Harvey instead of James Hardy. It is, is it a reasonable size, and it will only... Well, we think that it will only grow because this, this 200, 220 million is an estimate that's come maybe three or four years ago. And if James Hardy loses the case... The compensation will be for them repairing and possibly like supplying materials to the homeowners, the cost of building materials has gone up. Mm. So it's likely to get bigger. The plaintiffs also will claim for emotional damage as well. Mm-hmm. So we don't know where that will, how big or small that will be. Yeah. Yeah. So 
the James Hardy class action lawsuit is going on at the moment. Um, are there any other class action lawsuits relating to Leaky Homes going on in New Zealand right now? Yeah, there's quite a lot, really, to be, to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of apartment ones that are still running through, but probably the one that I really want to point out is there's a very similar case which has finished hearing in Wellington and is waiting for a judgment. Um, that case is known as Critch. It's after the Lyle Bay homeowner, Tracy Critch. Inside the house, not much at all. There's one tiny wee little bit of damage where there's a little bit of moisture has come inside, but from inside the house, you wouldn't really be aware of it. It's not till they take the little bits of cladding off on the outside that you can see the damage. And what's it going to cost to fix? Yeah, we've been told um, around 250000 Because the whole thing needs to be redone? Yeah, that's my understanding, yep. And it's basically the same sort of claim. It's the homeowners versus James Hardy, and James Hardy's pretty much used the same lawyers. They're expected to call a lot of the same witnesses. It's the same negligence Fair Trading Act um, case, but it's a much smaller scale. The claimants, there's, there's about, I think there's fewer than 100 claimants in this one. It's organised by a local lawyer, Dan Parker, and they haven't taken on a litigation funder. They've just sort of funded it themselves and backed themselves against James Hardy. Is that unusual for two very similar court cases to be going on concurrently, class action court cases to be going on concurrently? Yeah, it is really strange. And people, you know, someone was just saying to me the other day, it's kind of strange that they never linked these together. But, you know, the lawyers that organise these claims probably want to do things in their own way and organise the plaintiffs in their own way. So I guess that's just what happened. And I'm not, it's not quite clear the history of the cases, who filed first, maybe they just decided that it would run this way. I mean, the James Hardy case in Auckland at the moment is much bigger and it's going to be very interesting to see if it makes a difference that these guys have brought in a litigation funder mm. and, you know, they've got this really flash UK silk who's mm. come in. A silk being? A silk being a, a, a prominent a lawyer. It's sort of like the, ne- it's like the next level up, yep. the creme de la creme of lawyers. His name is um, Simon Hughes. He's, he's been here for, uh, I think, about a month. And he's just here for the case, yeah. and he is—he is like a, it's really interesting watching him in court because he is very um, posh. <laughs> he's really posh, <laughs> and he—but he is like an expert. He has written all the textbooks on construction law. Like the last time he came to New Zealand, he ran a case here for almost about nine or ten months—a mm. big construction case here—and that was ten years ago. So it's kind of. Yeah, they brought in the big guns. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, for this. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see, well, does it make a difference? What section of the Constitution has been breached? Section? What, what section? There is no one section. It's just the vibe of the thing. Does money make a difference? You've mentioned a couple of times litigation funders. You have a law degree. Yeah. I do not. <laughs> what is a litigation funder? And why is that notable that that one is involved in this? Yeah, basically these guys come in, they look at a, I mean they're a business, they're a business out to make money, right? They come in, they look at a case, they've got legal experts, they work out if we do a deal and pull this together and help organise it and then run, you semi run the claim. It gets interesting because you know you, with a lot of these cases, you wonder who's running the claim, the actual victims or claimants or the the funder. Mm. Um, but they do that and then. They'll file an action and they'll have grouped a whole lot of people together. And, you know, it can really make a huge difference. I mean, it's 
becoming quite a big feature in the New Zealand corporate law landscape, I would say. I mean, you can it's, see the but you can see you the, can see the benefits. Yeah, and these yeah. guys, I, I mean, I think they do believe in justice, I guess. But you know, there's also money to be made, and it's interesting as well because what they're doing is they're filling a gap that the regulator. In some cases, I mean, there's no regulator here, I guess, but in some cases they're filling a gap that the regulator's not taking, you know, when it's not taking action. So, I mean, this sounds like a big court case, you know, um, what, a quarter of a billion dollars and a thousand odd plaintiffs, but, I mean, it's really sort of a drop in the ocean in the wider leaky homes yeah. discussion, eh? So, like, cause the, could, could, could this be precedent setting? Would we expect to see more of these cases crop up if, indeed, a favourable outcome comes? I think so. I mean, every, every class action that goes ahead and succeeds, other property owners or other you know, disgruntled shareholders or consumers might get more confident about taking these sorts of actions. I mean, in many ways, they sometimes they're in a position where they've got nothing to lose anyway, mm. I think. Um, so they just say, well, well, why not? A lot of them will be n- no win, no fee, so you're not... Not risking yeah, anything. Yeah, you're not risking anything, and you're just sort of having a hope that you might see some recovery. Um the other, th- the other thing, you know, linked to this case, there's also people probably don't really realise, but piggybacking on this case is in there's another set of proceedings called the Waitakere proceedings, which has sort of been attached to the main proceeding, and it's just for um, five retirement villages owned by MetLife Care. So they're sort of piggybacking on this case too. So it kind of does set the precedent for that case too. So they've been involved in a lot of the preliminary discussions and then they've just got this lawyer sitting at the back of this case just watching wow. to see what goes on and to see what evidence comes in and all that sort of stuff because it's expected that James Hardy will you know, go through the same actions. I mean, it can't say something in evidence here and then exactly yeah, and then pivot or, or something like that. So, so everyone's so, just watching it like hawks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and the same thing with this case in Wellington which has already been done and they're waiting for the judgment for so when that judgment comes out I actually think the, ju- the, the lawyers in this case might say hey let's stop for a few days and figure out what this case means That's it for today, I'm Emile Donovan The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Blair Stagpole and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Business Desk's Victoria Young. Matewa.